when I decided to do that first event, it was because I wanted to make sure that there was an alternate way, that we could think about rewriting the playbook, that we could think about making the most out of nothing. When we're working with little to nothing anyway, how do you use what you have and leverage that to turn it into something? Medina from Black and Brown Founders, and we are rewriting, rewriting the, the playbook. playbook. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got more goodies from Hustle House at South by Southwest for you guys today. Uh, for more information about what happened, want to see data on its outcomes, we have a wrap-up report that's on our website at blackandbrownfounders.com. And in today, the clips we're using from Hustle House, we are talking about, what are we talking about today? We're talking about legacy and legacy building and how investment system works. Yes, yes. We're gonna hear from three people today, uh, Mandela, Schumacher, Hodge, Dixon. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna hear from Ramona Ortega, and we're gonna hear from Ogden Payne, and we'll get into talking a little bit about them in a second. Um, but why we wanted to talk about this? Why did we wanna talk about this? I mean, I think it's interesting that all three of them are talking about very similar things in their own ways, with their own experiences and their own professional backgrounds. Um, so often, there's the implicit and explicit, and when you are not part of uh, majority culture or you're not part of systems, uh, the implicit, unless it's made explicit, is really difficult for you to discern or understand or engage with. Um, and I'm really excited that they are all using their voices and experiences to make very explicit how systems work um, and how we can engage with them. I have nothing to add to that, but what I do want to do is thank our wonderful sponsor, who is both making this podcast and help make Hustle House possible, Aslo, A-Z-L-O. Oh, oh. Yeah. Uh, a zero-fee small banking platform that helps entrepreneurs like us start, grow, and succeed on their own terms, because financial freedom is deciding your own future. Go over to aslo.com and get your account popping today. Okay, so... Without further ado, let's jump into Mandela. I think that she's going to do a great job at setting the tone for some of the stuff we're going to be talking about today. In her talk from Hustle House, she is giving us all the golden nuggets, um, the pro tips on how to get investors and really breaking down how that system works. Uh, we thought that this would be really valuable for everyone to really listen to, as Del mentioned when we talk about how the investment systems work. We talked a little bit about this on our last podcast, How to Launch When Investors Ain't Writing Checks. And Mandela, who has worked for Cape Poor Capital, now is the founder of Founder Gym, uh, which is helping prepare entrepreneurs to go out and get investment. She's got all the golden nuggets. So no one can say this better than Mandela can. Let's just get into it. Well, how many in this room um, have an interest in starting a business or you are already operating your own business by a show of hands. Raise it high and proud. Hi, hi, hi to the sky. There we go. All right. How many of you wish that you had more money, just a little bit more money, so maybe you can hire some people. Maybe you can invest in some more technology. You could go faster. You could go farther. Anybody? No, just me. Right? All right. That's something called capital. That's something called capital, which is money. And it's a thing out in Silicon Valley, where I'm from, that they have an entire industry running off of. It's called venture capital in particular. In the next probably I got eight minutes, I'm going to talk to you about the things I wish I knew. 
seven years ago when I was in your shoes pitching investors for the first time. Because what I do for a living right now is help founders from all walks of life, whether they have access to the network or not, basically navigate this system. And so I'm going to keep it real with you. So one thing I'm going to ask is make sure you have your buckets. Everyone got their buckets? Because I'm about to be dropping gems all day. So get ready to pick them up, okay? Got your bucket. I don't see your buckets. Come on, show me your buckets. You got your buckets. There we go. We got the buckets. All right. So first step, the first thing, and it's going to go in a list of like don'ts and do's. I'm a big, um, I get really irritated with people who point out problems and don't offer solutions. So I'm not going to point out any problems with any, without offering solutions today. Does that work for you? All right. So the first problem I see with people who are trying to raise venture capital is don't play the game unless you understand the rules of the game. Okay. Don't play the game unless you really understand the rules. And so what I'm saying is um, if I'm a soccer player and I really don't understand the rules of the NFL, right, I probably shouldn't go for that tryout without first studying the rules. So what I'm here to remind you is that venture capital is a system of making money off of people's businesses. So it was aligned to some things that people were saying. There's people at the top called LPs, limited partners. These are really wealthy people or organizations or private equity funds. What they do is they give their money to people called venture capitalists, okay? Investors, venture capitalists who then deploy that capital into entrepreneurs such as yourselves, all right? And the way they make money is that they buy your equity. They buy a piece of your company. So I'm going to give you a quarter million dollars. You're going to give me 6% of your company. So as your company scales in value, I get more and more money back. But the money, nobody makes money unless one of two things happen. Either your company sells or your company IPOs. That's the only way. So it's really important that you understand this rule because some people are seeking venture capital, but they don't even really want to sell their company. They're kind of in it for the long haul. And so understand that if you're going down the venture capital right, you're a route, you're automatically signing yourself up to sell the company. And the expectations of most investors are within five to 10 years that you're going to build your company up to be valuable enough that someone else is going to want to buy it from you or it's going to be qualified to go public on the uh, stock exchange. Are you guys with me so far? Okay. All right. So what you should do is learn the rules of the game. And again, one of the most important things is understanding venture capitalist expectation. Um, they're expecting 10x returns. 10x, you guys. This is the business that they're in, flipping that type of money. So if I give you $100,000, I'm an investor, they're expecting a million dollars in return, okay? If they give you a million dollar investment, they're expecting how much in return? 10 million, okay? So you have to be able to tell a story of how your business is going to make them, uh, their money go from 100K to a million or a million to 10. That's the story that you have to tell. Speak their language if you're going down that route. And again, venture capital is all about an unfair advantage. Basically, they're giving you money so that you can spend more money than you earn, right? You can spend more money than you earn. Well, why would you want to do that? Because you want to beat out the competition. You want to take as much of the market as possible. So they're going to give you all this money. So go hire those people you need so you can go faster than your competition. Um, but what about uh, making money? Oh, we'll get to that later. That's oftentimes how venture capitalists think. And again, I'm here to demystify this. Like I'm known for bringing Silicon Valley to the streets. I want to break it down for you so you understand how to play this game and increase your odds of winning if 
and only if this is the game you decide to play. Because I'm sure you've heard many other speakers today talk about other ways of financing your business. This is one way. All right, the other thing is uh, don't pitch millions. Pitch billions, okay? Investors, venture capitalists specifically, are in the business of billions, meaning that the product that you're building, it has to be in a market where it can potentially make billions of dollars because investors aren't stupid. They know more than likely your product is not going to actually capture 100% of the market. But if you're going after a billion-dollar market and say you get 10% of that, that's a nice return, right? So again, you gotta paint big pictures for investors. Other things you need to know is not everybody's your cup of tea, okay? Not everybody's your cup of tea. I see people all the time pitching investors that have no interest in that sector, that stage, they don't even invest that amount. And what it shows investors oftentimes is you didn't do your homework. There are platforms called AngelList, you picking up these gems? AngelList, Crunchbase, investor websites, where they will literally tell you what they're interested in investing in. But the key is you have to read it, so make sure you do your homework. Um, Understand that you can't just depend on your idea, and especially oftentimes when you're an underrepresented person. You don't have the luxury of just depending on your idea. Is it fair? Hell no, it's not fair. But it is the system until we have people like Melinda and Wayne and Arlen and Kpor Capital, all these people out here who are trying to change the other side of the equation, you still, as the founder, have to understand how to play this game, right, as you go along. So understand you can't just depend on your ideas. It has to be traction. Traction, oh, I hate using this word, trumps everything. Traction is do you have users? Do you have revenue? And it's not just about traction. How quickly did you get that? An investor is much more interested in investing in a founder if you got 100,000 users in six months versus 100,000 users in three years, right? It shows how quickly you're able to scale. And so again, if there's anything you remember from what I'm sharing, remember, investors want big markets. They want you to go as big, as fast as possible, and they're willing to give you an infusion of capital to help you get there, okay? All right, this is something I hear all the time, especially, um, is anyone trying to build a tech company? A tech company, meaning you're building technology. Um, yeah, tech is kind of a great thing. It's a tool because it helps you reach more people than you ever possibly could just being maybe a mom and pop shop on the corner. And so with technology, you have to understand, remember CTO is your chief technology officer. CTO is basically, if you were opening in a restaurant, you wouldn't open a restaurant without a head chef, right? You can make it as beautiful as you want, have beautiful design on the menus, but if there's no one in the back actually making your core product, which is the food, you don't have anything. A CTO is your chief chef in the back, and investors are screening if you have those people. Um, other things that I just want to make it really simple because this is probably one of the things you're going to be doing at South by Southwest is you're going to go up to investors and you're going to talk to them or you're going to get their business card and you're going to email them. Please remember that investors get pitched all day. All they do all day is say no, 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 maybe yes, okay? You literally have half percent of a chance of getting investment. Half percent for most VC firms, okay? And no, these are like jarring statistics. Maybe not, you're like, yeah, Medell, I know. But it's important to remember, like, how do you stick out as the one? One of the things to do is don't send canned emails. 
They can actually tell when you've copied and pasted it. And if you haven't taken the effort to send them an individual email, why should they take the effort to reply, right? These are little nuances that if you just change a little bit of how you're approaching this game, that could take you far. So last I'll say is, if you want to keep going on this adventure of loan, of trying to figure out this system by yourself, feel free. The, you are um, welcome to do that. If you want some assistance and you want some help, that's what I specialize in. Go to foundergym.com and sign up. There we go. We just heard Mandela S.H. Dixon. Uh, show me your buckets, people. Mm -hmm. Are they full? <laughs> I think she had plenty so of gems in there. Yes. No, there was so much. I love how she gives these pro tips. This is what her business founder, Jim, does. Um, Mandela also was someone who helped support portfolio companies at Kapoor Capital. And so she is definitely coming from a place of deep knowledge in these topics. Yeah, I know. I agree. I mean, one of the things that I love is that she's made out of business out of her own experience because she knows that her inexperience or lack of understanding in the beginning probably had a cost associated with it and she's just been able to flip that and be able to say okay here's the things that I've learned I want other people to learn from them um, and so often people don't do that right like so often people are like oh I know a thing now I'm gonna keep it to yeah myself. I'm already in oh yeah, so like, like you know you leave everybody else to fend for themselves exactly. and I think that you know I, I love seeing the rise of businesses that are actually there their purpose is to help and to provide mm -hmm. resources and to provide information with people they're providing value to people by allowing others to increase their own value yeah which i think is so important especially nowadays completely and she's making the implicit explicit right like that's part of the work that she's doing she's making sure that people understand what are expectations how to go about it if you're thinking about investment what is your strategy how to put together that strategy and that plan because you can't just be knocking on doors and expect to have a return without an actual plan behind it. Word. I mean, and just even to dig into a couple of things that she actually said, the traction trumps everything, sure. um, which I, you know, it resonates with us too. This yeah. is why we are pro-revenue, uh, not necessarily anti-VC. And actually she even says, like she she reiterates that, that going after venture capital is one way of financing your business and this is the dominant story that people hear about and talk about in technology um is going out there pitching investors investors make it rain and then you've got like a whole bunch of cash that you get to like go and launch a company with um <laughs> which actually we know is not necessarily true for people of color otherwise yeah. black and brown founders would not exist um, but either way, I think it is important to know where that intersection is. It's important for people to have options, right? Yeah. And I think for us, we want to be able to demystify that as much as possible for people. And going back to this hacking thing, you can't hack something unless you understand how it actually works. Exactly. And so that's what's important about her work for me also is making sure that people understand how the system works and how they get to choose and come up with a plan and come up with a strategy of how to interact in a ways that makes sense for them. Mm. Yeah, it's true. Um, and just, you know, thinking about that uh, statistic as well, like, you know, the investors are always saying, no, 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 like half of, of a percent, is that what she said? Half of a percent of a chance of getting that funding. Yeah. Um, and then we also do know that, that that's that's kind of across the board, really. That's not even just looking at the, the disparities for women and people of color. Um, who are out there asking for that money. Um, 
So yeah, looking at those ways and thinking about how do you engage uh, with, with being able to, to navigate this system, what does that look like? Yeah, so okay. Next up, we have Ramona Ortega, who is the founder of My Money, My Future, and also is an entrepreneur in residence with our lovely sponsor, Aslo. And she's talking about building wealth so let's just let's let's talk let's talk about legacy for a minute because I think that for me it's an overarching theme around building wealth in our communities and building a legacy, right? Jay Z talked about it. He brought that shit up. I was like, all right, but what are we gonna do about it? How are we going to do it? So this is a place where you learn how to do it, right? No wealth in this country has been built without building businesses and entrepreneurship. If you think about it, right? All the sort of major sort of wealth has been built. It's been entrepreneurs building corporations, building legacy in their communities. When you look around and you say, well, where, where's our legacies, right? Where are sort of Zuckerbergs of the world, right? And that when we talk about the innovation economy, we're clearly missing to be seen there. We're not visible there. So one of the things that um, really was sort of the motivator behind starting My Money, My Future and taking this position with Oslo is how do we get people the resources and tools they need to build these legacies, to use entrepreneurship as a way to do that, right? And it's clear that that is the only way you do that. I worked on Wall Street, I was a securities attorney um, and I could have made a lot of money, I could have made some money, but I was never going to build wealth because when you work for someone else, you don't build wealth. Right? Let's be very clear, right? So that is really important in understanding over time, how do you build it, how do you keep it? So it's not just about making the money, it's about how do you build wealth over time. Entrepreneurship is one of those ways. And why is it one of those ways? Right now we are in the middle of a digital revolution. What happened with Rockefeller and all of those folks back in the day is happening now. The wealth that's being built right now in Silicon Valley in the digital economy and in in sort of digital revolution per se, is going to be carried now for the next couple of decades at least. And it's happening quicker, right? So you got people that can go and build something in 10 years and do an IPO and have millions, billions of dollars. So that is really important because where did those dollars end up going? They end up going to their communities, they end up creating foundations that support the work that they're interested in. Do you understand? So endowments, pension funds, all of that money that's being created in, on sort of on the back of workers also, we need to think about how do we reinvest it in our communities. Entrepreneurship is one of those ways. And it is, for us, it's the key way. So whether you're doing entrepreneurship sort of from a small business perspective and you're growing that to scale or you're using technology, it is a key way to sort of be able to be part of that sort of revolution that's happening right now. And I think for Hustle House, it was really key for us to make sure that people see that we're out here because we're not seen, right? You know, you've got hardware entrepreneur with Ania. I'm a FinTech entrepreneur and there's very few of us out there. Um, it is really key that we be seen and that we're helping to support each other get this work done, okay? We got a hackathon on campus. I was telling them all morning, you need to come back here because there's gonna be a bunch of founders here and we always need hackers, right? This is the way things get done. I built my first MVP at hackathons and then networking with people to be like, I need developers, I need developers. This is really important for how we get it done because if we're not gonna get funding in Silicon Valley, 
and, we're, and usually we're not. I mean, the, the numbers are, are clear. Women get less than 2% of money out of Silicon Valley. Women of color get less than one, okay? So we know that we're not gonna have access to the kind of the same capital. So what we need to be doing is supporting our own communities. Hustle House is so important for this reason. This was like literally a, a sort of a dream of ours, like just last year. We were sitting around a table. We had a bad experience here at South By. And I was saying, we need to be represented. We need to have a house. We need to have a place that's ours where we can talk to each other, figure out how to build shit. And so when we're not on that stage, we'll be on a stage and we'll be with each other building our stuff. And so this really came out of us wanting to make sure that we can share that with all of you. Not only you're gonna be inspired by a number of people building amazing shit, but you're also gonna be networking with people who will help you build your shit. And that is important because you are going to build something. The next Zuckerberg, the next whoever, is among us. They're among us right now. They're in Wakanda right now. Wow, I just love it. I could, I could listen to Ramona talk all day. <laughs> it's just my own personal bias, but yeah, I, I, I loved. You know, when she talks about, you know, one, I love that she quoted Jay-Z, and as of right now, uh, the new album between the Carters have come out with an album. And in two songs, uh, Beyonce talks about money and legacy and equity. You know, she, in Ape Shit, you know, she says, give me my check, put some respect on my check, or pay me in equity, pay me in equity, watch me reverse out of debt. Like, one. Skirt. You, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming. I that was and then in Boss, she says, my great-great-grandchildren already rich. That's a lot of brown children on your Forbes list. I mean, I think all of our collective heads blew up at, at listening to that, mm -hmm. which is when you have that much money, you can afford and you can think about what is the legacy that you're building. And I would say that even if you don't have a lot of money, even if right now you are hustling and trying to figure out how you're going to create that legacy, you have to be thinking about it. Like you have to be very intentional about it. And when, when Ramona is talking about these things and is talking about like the legacies, I mean, I was just in Pittsburgh and all the libraries in Pittsburgh, all the public libraries in Pittsburgh are still named after Dale Carnegie, mm -hmm. someone who made money in the 19th century. Mm -hmm. His legacy still has a reverberation and still has an influence upon a city, but probably the rest of the country. Oh, right? It's a brand. Yeah, right? it's a brand. It's I like, mean, like we're out here uh, on the West Coast right now where everybody's all Stanford, Stanford, Stanford. But like to yeah. have gone to Carnegie Mellon yeah. is like, it's a thing Yeah, out East. I don't yeah. know how much like curry that gives people out here, but still like, I think that it's, it's a brand even to be associated with that name. Yeah, no, and, and that that's part of the legacy that you're building. And so when Beyonce is talking about her great-great-grandchildren, and she knows that they're going to be on the Forbes list because she and Jay are setting things up in a way where the Carter family is going to be known in certain ways, you can't help but say, okay, what is my impact and what is my legacy going to be like? I might not have the billings that they have today, but I have to start thinking about that, right? So I think what you're touching on is something really important, uh, this idea of building a legacy where I think, you know, in, for the most part, we spend a lot of time talking about how do you get that money? How do you, how do you, get, how do you get the cash for right now? Yep. Um, but where I think we're switching gears a little bit here is like the end game. 
right? Like, and it is, it's, it's legacy at the end of the day. And I think that there's a lot that we could even say about the ways in which ego can kind of be tied to, to legacy. But if we put that aside, I think it is the fact that all of the things that we're doing in life, right? Like, yes, we, we do things hopefully that give us purpose and have meaning to us and to the people that we care about. But most importantly, all of the hustle that we're putting in there, all of that work that we are doing, what does it mean for that to to actually be something that is getting passed down, for you to be providing those building blocks um, for the generations that are going to come after you? So when we talk about wealth, I think we're actually, we are actually even talking about generational wealth like how are we setting up the people who come after us to have better things and a better passage than we did during our time yeah and that so often it's done in small and big ways so it's you know it is paying for the after school care of somebody it is paying for like the medical bill of somebody it's it's those little pieces that's part of it and it's also making sure that you are taken care of and that you're taking care of your future um, because in an absence of that, like, it, 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 I think too often people think it's either or, you know, like either I do this or I pay myself. And I think that you can do both. You just have to be, you have to go into it with that mindset. Um, and so when she's talking about like entrepreneurship equals legacy is true. You, you could earn a very good money with a great salary. It doesn't mean that you're going to become wealthy or it doesn't mean that you're going to, um, be able to pass on something to your children in the same way like but but I feel like that's the plug right there for me to kind of bring up my my favorite topic of 2018 <laughs> which is estate planning um because yes. it's so key and I mean it doesn't mean like you don't have to be wealthy you don't have to have an endowment or like you know a family foundation um to be thinking about your estate and what it means to to pass that on and that being a part of your legacy like newsflash everybody i'm sorry to break this to you but you're gonna die um at some (laughs) point it's gonna happen to everyone it's inevitable um it's a question of when it's not a matter of if and i think an argument can be made that it's probably even more important to make sure that you have plans in place when you don't have crap tons of money that are going to go from one you know person and heir to the next if you are alive and you own anything like there should be a plan for that there should be a will not true and so often these things are unspoken because we don't want to talk about it like i know culturally amongst my family the idea often the thing that i've heard is like oh, you want me to have a will, or are you trying to kill me? Like, I've literally had yeah, family members yeah. say that, like, oh, you're trying, to to wi- you're, you're trying, you're trying to yeah. wish me death? And I'm like, uh, no, but it's eventually going to come calling, so you, totally. might, you might as well, we might as well know what the deal is, right? Like, we have to get more comfortable with having yeah. these conversations. Ideally, we're having these conversations while people are still alive and, and well healthy. and healthy so that it's not about like I'm just trying to get mine what are you leaving behind for me mom yeah, yeah. but just like you just don't want to leave a mess yeah. to to your children or your grandchildren or what have you and you don't want them to be at each other's throats because there was no guidelines for how this is supposed to to happen it just I've, I've seen it tear families apart it's sad it's very sad and it's even more sad when the things that you've busted your ass to accumulate over your time even if it is modest uh just disappears because you didn't make these plans it's 
Yeah. You've worked too hard for this. Completely. Okay, we've got one more clip for you. Um, Ogden Payne, he's going to talk about his experience learning about wealth from people who have already made it, which I I think is actually kind of fun, especially because we've referenced Beyonce and Jay-Z and uh, Dale Carnegie in this, this episode. I mean, like... There's, there's some really interesting things I think that he kind of touches on. So we'll listen to him and, and we'll come back right after that. Uh, my name is Ogden Payne. So I am a contributing writer at Forbes magazine. So at Forbes, I guess I just document like all the, the up and coming hip hop artists um, and really like their, their entrepreneurship um, hustles, like their entrepreneurial hustles. Um, so people like, you know, Chance the Rapper when he was kind of like coming up, um, Kendrick Lamar. Um, let me see, there was like some stuff on Logic, just, you know, a lot of the, the guys who were like up and coming before they really kind of like popped, um, I would cover a lot of them and still do. Um, and yeah, and then I also do like a lot of data driven articles. So like, you know, working with somebody like Spotify or Apple Music just to kind of, um, you know, kind of talk about the, the trends in hip hop and, you know, what are people streaming? What are people, you know, listening to and, you know, all that good stuff. So um, like when I was coming up, I used to, um, you know, I was like a huge fan of hip hop, right? And like still am. Um, and I used to just think that people just only made money just like off of their music and then that was it. But like while I've interviewed like all these people, I realized how many artists and managers and just kind of people within the industry have side hustles as well that like just kind of are, it's like just ancillary income. And you know, I thought, I thought that was just really cool. Like there's a lot of artists who, you know, they want to start like a wine company or they'll start like a restaurant, they'll start, um, you know, a clothing company. And so I just thought it was really cool that, you know, they have just kind of like different investments um, in, in all different places. Like Nas is probably one of the, the best examples. Um, he actually invests in like a whole bunch of different like tech companies. He invested in Dropbox. Um, he's invested in just, I think it was Lyft and just, just a whole bunch of different things. And like the return on his investment is probably more than he's made, you know, or is making off of music, even though he's, you know, obviously still, still doing live shows and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, just, just seeing that there's so many different hustles within hip hop is like, that's probably like the biggest eye opening thing for me. So that was Ogden Payne. Uh, capturing stories and data-driven articles for Forbes. I think that that was, I just felt like that was a really cool perspective and way of thinking about this. And I feel like it's also worth noting, you know, um, that this recording happened in March, which was before the Khalees accusation. So I know that might be a little sore topic for some of the people listening, but I I do still think that that's a relevant reference. Like the, the money moves that Nas is making are absolutely completely relevant to this conversation um he is making money off of his tech investments celebs are they're building these businesses too yeah no so two things one when we captured this audio from uh ogden it was in conversation and in an interview so it's slightly different from the other two so i just want to point that out so i and as a result of it we have a little bit i feel like a little bit more intimacy um and understanding um, of like the learnings that he's had as a result of being in contact with and interviewing somebody. Um, and so often lots of us mm-hmm. don't have that, uh, don't have that privilege to be able to learn by asking. And that's what he, he got. And I think it's, it's, it's great. And that the, the, the way that I interpreted what he said was, here are people who are culture makers who are then taking the money that they're making off of making culture and investing it in what could seem like a risky thing because it has nothing to do with their day-to-day business, 
but it it has been the smart thing that they've done of yeah. take of looking outside of their own day to day and saying where can my money make the most impact because let's be honest any artist i don't care who you are like you are rehearsing you are traveling you're getting up onto the stage you're it's a physical job that you have you're moving a crowd you're interacting with lots of people like it's a physical job uh as as fun as it seems as as entertaining it is Glamorous. for us yeah as entertaining yeah. as it is for us the reality is like the actual performer is physically involved and so to say okay this is this is got a this is how I'm earning my money and then what I'm going to do is very smartly take a look at how I'm going to make sure that that money is not just safe but multiplied and we're seeing more and more of this from celebrities too in fact I think that what's important there is what Della is mentioning both in terms of you know how these celebrities are diversifying their investments there are increasingly more celebrities getting into this game on that note I think we should move to hopping bubbles we're bubble hopping bubble Bubble. hopping um and for anybody who's listening to this for the first time bubble hopping is uh something that we're doing on each episode it is to get us out of our usual tech 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 black and brown all of the things um and and going into a different area and observations and learnings and experiences uh that other cultural things references uh can bring to us so we're hopping bubbles today. We're actually just going to talk a little bit about traveling to a few different yeah. places that have been going on this summer for, for Del Del and I. So I was very lucky that this summer I got to travel to Philly, Pittsburgh, New York, and D.C. So I did like a little East Coast run of it all. Um, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of bus rides and drives and that sort of thing. But it also made me look at another part of the country that so often uh, we either conflate, don't, think about or don't consider that really was a part of the rise during the rubber baron years which actually take a pause there i do want to take a moment to note that del who is originally from barranquilla colombia like grew up in the bay area in the san francisco bay area not on the east coast so yeah i am from the east coast originally but this is her bubble hopping experience yeah. yeah i mean i would say like i was i was born in new york and i i learned english in new york and i most of my family immigrated to new york when i first so i would spend summers in new york is the one thing i realized like I was like, why am I loving this so much? And I was like, oh, yeah, because when I was a kid, I never really spent the summer in the Bay Area. Mm. I would get sent to one of my grandmothers in I Queens. I didn't know that. Yeah, so we would go to, I would go to Queens to visit one of my grandmothers, uh, my abuela Olga, and I, yeah, like, that that was part of my experience. And so, like, the humidity, the heat, people were like, oh, you must be hating this. And I was like, no, I love it. There was, like, some sort of, like, Proustian moment of me with an <laughs> Italian icy in the heat eating it, going like, oh, yeah, coconut-flavored Italian icy. <laughs> so that's the other thing. Food was so good. And I think that Californians often, we think, we are the breadbasket of this country. We grow so many crops. We're like... We like to smell our own food. Oh, completely. <laughs> and to go and be like, oh, my God, like, New Jersey grows great products and produce you know pennsylvania the milk oh like whatever is like mind-blowing delicious yogurt milk cheese creamery ice cream oh all of it like and and so it just like it it showed me like it's important to be someplace else and have different experiences yeah it was great i love it 
about you? How was your travels? Yeah. Uh, well, no, like, you know, my, my grandmother lives in um, basically the middle of nowhere, uh, North Carolina, southeastern North Carolina. And so, anyway, I went out there just to visit uh, with Noe, uh, my daughter. And, um, and you know, the, the bubble for me, I think, you know, getting out of the, the, the Silicon Valley bubble and going to a place that's so small, it's technically, I think, a village by mm-hmm. map standards because that's how small the population is that's it's right. not even a town it's like a village everybody knows them yeah. yeah um and uh and like the like destination for shopping mm. is like the next town like the actual like larger town that's next to it in whiteville north carolina has a walmart and like we go to we go to walmart and like literally i feel like that's the only time i go to walmart because i'm sorry y'all i'm team target call me bougie if you want <laughs> but that's what it is um, and I go to Costco cause that's the, that's the easiest and most accessible, you know, bulk shopping experience where I live in the area. Plus I think Costco is better than Sam's, but whatever. <laughs> anyway, we go to Walmart and I remember the, uh, the Walmart wasn't letting any people in cause somehow they had like some power outage or something. Oh, yeah. And like, so we like walk out with our little carts about to go in the Walmart, do some shopping. And they're just like, sorry, we can't let you in the Walmart. And I just remember how, like, it just kind of threw everyone into, like, this state of chaos because we're just like, well, we can't go to Walmart. What are we supposed to do? (laughs) We're just like, where am I going to get my bargain T-shirts? And, like, I don't know, I'm supposed to go to, like, a regular grocery store to buy some orange juice? Like, what are you talking about? Um, So, yeah, and so we had to go to the other side of town to to go do some grocery shopping and then save everything else for the next day to go to Walmart. So it's like, okay, well now today's the Walmart trip. It's like, let's get ready. We're going to Walmart. Um, so it's a whole thing, but yeah, that's, that's like, I guess my, my bubble. So let's wrap up. Um, but before we wrap up, this podcast was brought to you by Aslo, A-Z-L-O. It is a zero fee, small business banking platform that helps entrepreneurs like us start grow and succeed on their own terms because financial freedom is deciding your own future thank you aslo thank you and we are your fearless hosts ania williams and del del medina and uh you can find black and brown founders on the interwebs at blackandbrownfounders.com you can follow us on the twitters the instas the facebooks um feel free to leave us a rating for this podcast wherever you're listening to your podcast that's right and uh, don't mind, like, if you want to just drop a couple, like, coins in that. Just donate. The, like, ching, ching. Boop, boop. Yeah, exactly. Um, thank you to our wonderful editor and producer, Alejandro Martinez. Gracias, Alejandro. Hey, girl, hi. And our theme song by Madison McFerrin. You have survived another episode of Rewriting the Playbook. Check you later.